This is chapter 15 of Seventh Son, book 2, and this is Lee of the Digital Media Centre for the Arts at Yale University. I hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. Seventh Son, book 2, Deceit. A podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins. Read by the author. For more information about this novel, please visit www.jchutchins.net. Hi everyone, this is Helen Kyer, co-author of The New Essential Guide to Alien Species from Random House. The New Essential Guide to Alien Species is a catalog of all the species in the Star Wars universe, from the movies, from the books, from the games, and the comics. If there's a species you want to know something else or something more about, this is the place to check. The book is available at most larger bookstores and from Amazon. You can visit my blog on StarWars.com at blogs.starwars.com slash Helen K. The story thus far. In the last chapter, the story shifted to Arctic Village, Alaska. John and Dr. Mike began their search for Angela Devlin, mother of presidential assassin Doug Devlin. According to Alpha's clues left on the dam wall in Arkansas, Devlin's mother would provide information about the villain's current location. The clones were greeted by Devlin's older sister, Josephine. As the trio traveled back to her cabin, Josephine told John and Mike that her mother had died six months ago. Mike asked her about Devlin's childhood there in the village, hoping to glean the mysterious secret mentioned in Alpha's riddle. But Josephine could not help them. Mike soon realized that the riddles did not specify that Angela Devlin actually be alive to learn the secret. The group visited the mother's gravesite and unearthed a message left by a next charge victim, an old man whose mind had been erased and replaced with Doug Devlin's psyche. The message told the clones to travel to Brownlow Point. This was a location far from Arctic Village, Josephine explained. It was located in the protected Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Chapter 21 Find the A in Maine. Location, location, location. Speak the language. Know the code. Jack and Father Thomas listened to the hacker. The letter A is represented in binary code as a zero, a one, five zeros, and an additional one, Kilroy explained. He stuck his index finger in his mouth for a moment, then yanked it out with a comical pop. His finger trotted across a window of Prophecy Employment Services, writing out the number on its dusty surface. Zero, one. Zero, 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 one. Make more sense? he asked. Okay, Jack said, nodding. I can see it now, but if that's the A in Maine, then I'm still at a complete loss. Beside him, Thomas squinted at the binary code. It's too bad, he said. I'd hoped the number would have been a screen address or something. You know, a building here in Prophecy where we'd get all our answers. He tossed the orange baseball in his hand again. Location, location, location. What else could it mean? Kilroy eyed a pebble on the sidewalk. 
There are other computer languages, he admitted. I know a handful of them, but if you want to get down to building blocks, binary is about as fundamental as it gets. I guess I was wrong. He kicked the pebble into the street. Well, we've got the number. We're halfway there, Thomas said. What are we missing? There are so many possibilities, so many digits. Yes, eight. Count them. Every letter, number, or character in binary code has eight digits. You listen to your favorite CD, pull up your photo collection on your PC, check your email. It all goes back to variations on two numbers, one and zero. Suddenly, the name Binary Fairy has much more significance, Jack said, gazing at the numbers on the window. Working magic with the code, just like you, Kilroy. A half-smile played on the hacker's lips. He stepped away from the window, sat down on the curb, then pulled off his laptop satchel. Kilroy propped his elbows on his knees and looked down at the cracked pavement, thinking, What else could it be? I speak the language. I know the code. Location. Language. Code. Where's the connection? Maybe the A is in the wrong computer language, Jack said, and sat next to Kilroy. Jack wrapped his fingers over one another and began making shadow puppets on the street. The sun was almost gone now, making the shadows long and lean. Jack conjured a rabbit, then a rhinoceros. My kids love this, he said, smiling faintly. Sometimes it helps me think. Kilroy placed his hands over one another and wriggled his fingers, too. A giant spider. It chased Jack's rhinoceros on the street. So what other languages can apply? Thomas asked from behind them. Ma, plenty, Kilroy said absently, transfixed by the puppet show. Java, C, C+, basic, XML, to name a few. And HTML code, of course. Of course, Thomas said. The hacker's eyes widened as he registered what he just said. He grinned as he wriggled his fingers, the spider hopping and trotting around on the street. Now Kilroy's hands rushed over to his satchel and pulled out the lapsat. He opened the portable PC, made a few keystrokes, and waited for its receiver transmitter to uplink to the satellite internet network. A moment later, Kilroy accessed a web browser on the screen. The other two clones leaned in, curious. What are you doing? Thomas asked. Kilroy was smiling. Worth a shot, worth a shot, he whispered. He looked at Thomas. You're right, our A in Maine is too wonky to be a street address. Too many digits, right? But what kind of addies don't have such limitations? Web addies, that's what. They've got rules that can't be more than 63 characters long, for instance, but our A in Maine Addy is far less than that. Addies? Jack said. Ah, uh, addresses, I get it. You think the A in Maine is a website address? Maybe, Kilroy said, typing and nodding enthusiastically. It fits the patterns. Alpha knows what we know. So HTML programming language, binary code. Speak the language, know the code. He hit the laptop's woefully undersized enter key and waited as a website began to load on the screen. A black background flashed inside the browser. Transposed over it was a message written in white digitized longhand. Kilroy gave a wicked grin. Location, 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 he said, pointing to what he'd typed into the website address field. www. Zero one zero 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 one dot com. The clones stared in awe. They had found the A in Maine. The three clones read the message written on the screen. Dear Betas 4, 5, and 6, A few matters to discuss. 
Firstly, don't bother trying to track this website address. To do so would be an insult to my abilities. Spare yourselves the embarrassment. Secondly, my congratulations on finding the site. Very clever, Kilroy. You're all coming along so nicely. Thirdly, you won't be in prophecy much longer. This is good news, as your jet-setting will bring you closer to me. But there's one last task in prophecy to perform before you can leave. Do this, and you'll earn the right to take the final step and catch me. You will find a GPS receiver in the drawer of a desk you're already familiar with. Switch it on. Follow it until you arrive at the waypoint already programmed into the receiver. It's a very simple device to operate. More instructions await you at the waypoint. I look forward to seeing you. How many of you I see depends on how well you follow instructions. A. I'll go see if the GPS device is in the desk, Kilroy 2.0 said, closing the laptop screen as he stood up. You're not going to try to track the site? Jack said. Nope, Kilroy said, walking toward the shattered window. There's at least a half dozen ways to obfuscate the Who Is owner profile for a website. Alpha is only seen when he wants to be seen. The hacker ducked low and stepped through the pane, then came back with the GPS receiver in hand. It was bright yellow, about the size of a cell phone. A long black lanyard dangled from the gadget. Kilroy passed it to Jack. That's a GPS device? Thomas asked. This little thing gets signals from space satellites? Uh Uh-huh, Jack said, pressing the power button on the side of the gadget. The black and white LCD screen winked to life. I've got one of these at home. It's awfully small, Thomas said doubtfully. It only receives data, Kilroy said. Think of it as a radio that gets one channel, latitude and longitude coordinates. The three clones looked at the device's tiny screen. On it was a circle with an arrow in its center, a pixelated representation of a field compass. The arrow was pointing right, the direction they'd been walking. Father Thomas looked up in the direction the on-screen arrow was now pointing. It's pointing toward down Main Street, north in the direction we've been walking, toward the residential zone. Now look at the little box above the circle. Jack said, tapping at the top of the screen. This tells us how much distance separates us from the waypoint. We follow the direction of the arrow and use this distance meter until we get wherever Alpha wants us to be. It says .4 miles, Thomas said. Jack looked down the empty street in the direction of the arrow. He was watching us well before we ever got together, he said. There's no reason to think he isn't watching us now. Let's go back and get the car, just in case. Thomas was in the back seat now. Jack was driving, Kilroy was navigator. The Ford sedan cruised down the center of Main Street. 400 feet, Kilroy reported, staring down at the device. He had placed the lanyard around his neck. The GPS receiver now looked like a preposterous yellow necklace. 350 now, straight ahead, he said. That still puts us on Main Street, Jack said, gazing up at the road. The sunset was almost gone now, casting deep shadows across the pavement, at least a block away from the residential zone. Three hundred feet, Kilroy said breathlessly. Stop that, Thomas said. What? He has to know when to stop. Knock it off, both of you, Jack said. You're worse than my twins. Just tell me when we're fifty feet from the waypoint. He frowned. This doesn't make any sense. It's directly ahead, but I don't see anything up there. Just empty street. They cruised in silence for a few moments. 
Kilroy looked up from the GPS receiver. Fifty feet. They climbed out of the sedan and walked toward the last four-way intersection on Main Street. The residential zone was still a block away. Father Thomas drew his pistol. Two-story shops stared down at them. Twenty feet. I see it, Jack said, walking faster. I know what it is. Kilroy and Thomas followed him to the middle of the intersection. In its center was a sealed manhole. Laying nearby was a long metal pry bar. Down the rabbit hole? Kilroy asked. Looks that way, Jack said. Thomas holstered his gun, picked up the pry bar, and wedged its end into one of the sewer cap's ventilation holes. He pulled on the bar, arms straining. The cap rose an inch, then clattered back in place. Wow, it's heavy, Thomas said, stepping back. I need some help. With Jack's assistance, the cap was lifted out of its recessed rim. By the end of it, both were out of breath. Kilroy clicked on his mag light and peered down into the sewer. It's empty. There's a ladder here. No water. Of course not, Jack said, wheezing. The water's been shut off in this town for nearly sixty years. Let's head down. They climbed into the sewer, their flashlights dancing across the sewer wall as they descended. It reeked of mildew and dust. Aside from their flashlights, the only other illumination was the twilight filtering from the manhole above. The tunnel itself was a dozen feet tall, with curved concrete walls. Thomas guided his light up one side. A massive cable, at least as wide as a tree trunk, was fastened to the wall, trailing into the blackness ahead. A yellow triangle with an exclamation point was stenciled on the cable. Danger. High voltage, the warning said. Electricity? Thomas asked. This place has power? Look over here, Kilroy said. They followed his flashlight beam to a similar setup on the opposite side of the tunnel. These are fiber optic cables. See that, written on the side? These are for high-speed data transfer. Something in this town is wired to the net, and in a serious way. But how? Where's the power source? Thomas asked. Where's all this stuff coming from? He waved his flashlight behind him, gazing as far as he could. The cables faded into the darkness. I don't think we're supposed to be concerned with where they came from. Jack said, pointing his light at a point up ahead. Alpha wants us to see where they end. Come here, it's the instructions he was talking about on the website. They stared at a graffito spray-painted on one of the walls. It was an arrow urging them to go forward. Beneath the arrow were the words, This Way. The A in the word Way was capitalized. Egomaniac, Kilroy said. The three of them walked in the direction of the arrow, still heading north toward the town's residential area. Their footsteps echoed down the tunnel. Their flashlights did a fair job of beating back the oppressive darkness. It's like a cave, Kilroy said. The last syllable bounced around them. Ave, ave, ave. Jack chuckled. <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, because what I'm about to say happened only to me. I was utterly alone, at least that's how I remember it. So... Pardon the paradox. Remember the time when I got lost in the cave? Back when we were six years old? A few footfalls passed as the others thought about this. Finally, Thomas gasped. Yes, the camping trip from hell. Mom and Dad almost killed me. Well, us. You're right, it is a paradox. Fancied myself a spelunker, Kilroy said, smiling faintly. They continued to walk. Took one of the lanterns and one of the repelling ropes. 
thought I was being clever. (laughs) Well, we were being clever, Jack said. That rose probably the only thing that kept me, kept us alive. The rationale was brilliant. Tie one end to the tree outside the cave and the other around my waist, Thomas said. Can't get lost that way. It all started out so well. Flawless plan. And then the passages became twisty-turvy. And a few hundred feet in, I, we, tripped over a stalagmite. Bye-bye lantern smashed to pieces. Laughter. They kept walking. Right, right. Clearly it was time to head back, except the rope's all over the place, lying once, twice over in some parts of the cave. The more I tried to get out, the more lost we became. Who spotted the rope outside the cave? Was it Mom or Dad? Mom. (laughs) That's right. They came in with those chunky red flashlights, screaming, following the rope until they found me. We. Him, Jack said. Huh. It's the strangest sensation, isn't it? Like telepathy, Thomas said. I see something ahead, Kilroy said. Glittery rectangle and some, some kind of vehicle. The tunnel came to a dead end. There was a concrete wall perfectly set in the circumference of the tunnel. The wide electrical and fiber optic cables continued into the wall through custom-cut holes. Parked near the wall was a four-wheeler ATV. Behind the ATV was the glittery rectangle Kilroy had spotted, actually a set of dull silver sliding doors built into the dead end. A single button was mounted on the wall beside the doors. The keys are still in the thingy. Kilroy said, pointing at the ATV. There was indeed a key in the four-wheeler's ignition. A yellow tag dangled from the key by a metal loop. Thomas leaned in for a better look. It says, Compliments of management on the tag. His handwriting. Ours. Son of a bitch, Jack said. All right, let's get this over with. He jabbed his thumb over the button by the doorway. The doors immediately opened. Beyond was a small elevator cabin with curved walls. Oh, more elevators, Jack muttered. I'm so sick of elevators. Come on, Thomas said, stepping inside. Draw your gun. We need to be ready. I'm serious, Jack griped, following him. You weren't in the last one. What's so wrong about building topside? Why do secret hideouts have to be built underground? Dramatic effect, Kilroy offered. Right, fine, we're all here, inside the death trap. Kilroy, move, your backpack's mushing me. Thanks. Thomas, hit the button so we can go down. Thomas pressed the single button inside the cabin. The doors closed. They braced themselves for the drop. Jack closed his eyes, and then opened them. Huh, he said. The elevator was going up. And up. And up. The hell? Kilroy asked. We must be under some house in the residential zone, Thomas said, heading to a second floor. The doors opened. The clones stepped out, their boots pinging on a floor made entirely of metal grating. They gaped, completely unprepared for the sight before them. The trio was standing in the center of a colossal domed room with walls that arched upward at least thirty feet. There were no windows. A series of massive flat-screen plasma displays hung from thin cables along an upper perimeter of the arched walls, making them appear to float. The large TVs were suspended around the entire circumference of the dome, 
The room was easily 40 feet wide, with flashing images from various news networks. Closed captions scrolled by on all of the screens. Resting before the men was a massive computer workstation with at least a dozen monitors, a slick configuration that shamed Kilroy's patchwork network back at Seventh Sun. Light streamed up from beneath the metal grate flooring, casting eerie shadows on the workstation desks. The clones gazed up and around, spellbound by the room's enormity. Forty feet of empty space separated them from the apex of the dome. A small circular hatch was at the ceiling's center. Beside it was a long column of ladder rungs that had been welded onto the wall. The rungs arced down the wall. At least ten feet separated the first rung from the floor. The water tower, Kilroy said, his eyes darting across the mammoth room. We're inside the water tower. To each side of the elevator was a small sealed room protruding from the curved wall. Behind the elevator column, a menacing black dentist's chair was mounted to the floor. Leather straps dangled from the arm and leg rests. Thomas thought fleetingly of Laurence Olivier in Marathon Man. Is it safe? Past the dentist's chair was a glass-surfaced office desk, a fastidiously made queen-size bed, a bedside table, another bed, this one single-sized, its covers disheveled. The place was empty. This is Alpha's lair, Thomas said. His home. Jack nodded at the elevator. Kilroy's right. The huge pipe that connects the water to the ground. That's the elevator shaft. The whole frickin' place has been retrofitted. Thomas stepped across the floor to one of the tiny side rooms. Jack nodded and went to its twin on the opposite wall. Thomas gently opened the door before him. It's a bathroom, he said. This one's, uh, not, Jack reported. His face was pinched with worry. I think it's, uh, I think it's a jail cell. There's a bunk in here, chains on the walls, the kind with cuffs. Manacles, whispered Kilroy as he stepped toward the main desk of the computer workstation. He licked his lips. Top-of-the-line gear, ergonomically designed wireless keyboards and mice, wireless speakers. No CPUs, though. Kilroy glanced downward past the metal floor grating. A cluster of at least thirty silver computers whirred beneath the floor. He glanced back to the desk. A massive widescreen monitor dominated its center. Kilroy gravitated toward it, engrossed. He reached out to touch the black screen, his fingers inches away. It switched on by itself. Kilroy shrieked and stumbled backwards, his boots clanging against the metal. Thomas and Jack dashed toward him. What? Thomas cried. Kilroy, what is it? It's me, boomed a voice from the speakers. The clones stared at the monitor. A man's face stared back, grinning, cocksure. Alpha? Kilroy said. No. The man smiling at them appeared to be nearly a decade younger than them. His long brown hair was haphazardly swept backward, stray bangs dangled into his face. His eyes were a brilliant blue, mad sapphire set into pale, gaunt flesh. He had a hawk-like nose. This was not John Alpha. This was not their face. The trifecta is ahead of schedule, the man said, his eyebrows raising. I foresee a slight deviation from plans. Who are you? Kilroy asked. A devlin? Oh, come on, Kilroy. Don't you recognize me? I mean, I know you never saw my face, but I thought we had a special connection. I thought you'd know. You're the prophet. I'm the acolyte. Kilroy 2.0, you are here. You are everywhere. You know him? Jack asked. Kilroy shook his head. 
He stared at the screen, then pointed to a sphere-shaped wireless webcam positioned on the desk nearby. The stranger could see them, hear them. (laughs) Now that's no way to treat an old friend, an understudy no less, the man said. His perfect white teeth almost glittered in the monitor. I'm one of your acolytes, Kilroy. I'm one of your twelve. I'm Special K. What's he talking about, Kilroy? Jack asked. No, Kilroy muttered, the color draining from his face. No, not this, not you. Who is he? Thomas said. One of my disciples, Kilroy said, transfixed by the face on the screen. Two years ago, I chose twelve of them, taught them everything, how to subvert the system, find information for themselves, for me. They were to spread the word of Kilroy 2.0, bring more to the flock. And what a stellar job you did, Kilroy, Special Case said. He brushed away the bangs from his face. His smile twisted into a snarl. You found me while I was poking my mouse where it didn't belong, or so you thought. You saved me from a hackback and took me in. You were one of my best, Kilroy said. Oh, thanks, Obi-Wan, and as far as I know, I'm the only student who wasn't just taking notes on how to take down the system. I was cataloging you, Prophet, pinging your system, finding its weaknesses. And working for someone else the whole time, I bet, Jack muttered. Alpha, Thomas said. Quick on the uptake, the protege said. You're the one who scoped my system, Kilroy said. You wrote that spike that Dania used against me at Seventh Son. Oh, another point. Special K said, nodding appreciatively. I wondered how it felt, seeing your whole system crash and burn right before your very eyes. I'm quite proud of it. Even better than the hack I wrote for the Russian nukes. What can I say? It was one of my best. For one of the best. Thomas turned to Kilroy. He began to give a smug smile. But he didn't crash Yes, yes, I was terrified. Kilroy interrupted, stepping away from the priest. I admit it. I was thrown from the horse. You're getting slow in your old age, came the reply. Special K winked. Tell me something. Before Dania Sheridan, the She-Alpha, set you free from Seventh Son, did you hear the screams of the men as the hallways filled with the poison gas? Did you hear the soldiers gurgling cries for help? Kilroy considered this, and then nodded slowly. I did. We all did, didn't we? He glared at Jack and Thomas, who also nodded slowly. Those things had not happened at Seventh Sun, just as Special K's spike had not completely destroyed Kilroy's PCs. But their brother was saying something with his eyes. Let him talk. Keep quiet. It was awful, Kilroy told the monitor. Spectacular, Special K said, closing his eyes and grinning. I guess you should know that Hill and Kleiman are dead now, too, along with the She-Alpha. He opened his eyes now. Let's get down to business. Do you want to know why you're here? Where's Alpha? Kilroy asked. In transit. With me. So he did clone himself. Twice. In the proto-womb. Jack said. Put him on the screen. The face on the monitor laughed, its voice booming throughout the cavernous room. (laughs) That's absurd. And not up for discussion. So, do you want to know? It's the last time I'm going to ask. Tell us. Kilroy said. Surely, here's the deal. Come to the workstation and pick up the pad and pen that have been thoughtfully left for you. Go to the elevator. Step inside. Hit the button. The elevator has an intercom system. As you head down to the sewer, I'll announce the GPS coordinates for your next stop, the place where Alpha's going to be waiting. 
I recommend that you write down the coordinates using said pad and pen. The elevator doors open, and you leave. That's it, Thomas said. Of course not. There's always a price for information. And what's the price? Special K smiled. Oh, this is where it gets good. One of you must stay behind, up here in the water tower. We're very particular, actually. We want Beta 4 to stay. The clones turned and looked at each other for a moment. That's me, Jack said. You betcha, Special K replied. You've been listening to Seventh Son, Book Two, Deceit, a podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins. Thanks for listening. Please visit www.jchutchins.net for more information about this novel and about the author. Themed music generously provided by Cell Dweller. Please visit the band's website at celldweller.com and at myspace.com slash celldweller. Graphic elements for website art and album art for this podcast generously created by Magic Torch. Please visit the company's website at magictorch.com. This recording and its contents are copyright 2006 J.C. Hutchins.